The opinions and views shared in this podcast are the opinions and views of the host and the host alone. They are not a reflection of his employer or any other organization that the host is a member of. The host does not speak for anyone, only himself. This is the I Am Pith Podcast. Get ready for contact. What's going on, everybody? This is your boy Dex with the Iron Pitch Podcast. And today I have a very, very special guest. This brother is like me in a lot of ways. He is a fellow Black conservative. And the one thing I really enjoy about him is that we have so much negativity and things going on in the city of Louisville right now. But this man is doing his part to help spread more of a positive message and really trying to reach out to the youth in the city, those from, you know, underserved neighborhoods and communities especially the west end you know he's trying to reach these kids and help them see a different way of life through reading and things like chess and with me today i have corbin sievers from book talk with corbin his podcast what's going on corbin yeah much brother good to be here man i'm glad to have you here glad to have you you were the first person to ever invite me on your on, on your podcast so you know, when I started podcasting, so I was like, man, I need to get this guy on my show, man. Right. Well, that was delivered. I figured, hey, man, if he hits that New York Times bestseller list, <laughs> be able to say, hh you he here first. <laughs> oh, I can only hope I do, man. But I, I don't think, can you do that with a self-published book? You know, right offhand, I don't know. But I tell you what, though, man, I, you know, years ago, I self-published a book. And later, because it's, it's so like, locally around 1,000 plus copies. And then some uh, publisher out in Virginia picked up on it. And he gave me a publishing contract and he published it. He probably ended up selling maybe about 2,000, 2,500. Nice. And, and you know, that's how T.D. Jake started. He, he, he self-published that first thing he wrote, uh, Woman Thou Loose. So, so many copies got such a good name going on. A publisher stepped in and said, hey, man, we want to, we'll publish this. And then, of course, you know, he blew up. So a lot of folks who started off with self-publishing, then they'd get picked up or they just stayed with self-publishing. Um, what's her name? Shirazad Ali. She she stuck, she stayed with self-publishing. You make, you know, it's a little more work, but you you make more money. It's definitely more work, man. So let me ask you. You're from, are you from Louisville originally, correct? No, Boston. Boston. Okay. So right. man, where did your love for books and reading come from? Because you don't see a lot of, I tell people, you don't see a lot of that in the black community anymore. Unfortunately, you don't. Um, I, one answer, my father. Um, he is a bibliophile. And, um, you know, people comment a lot about, I have a lot of books. I literally have a lot of I mean, just having stacked up in boxes all over the place. My daughter many times has said, Daddy, you need to sell them. I said, baby, you don't sell books now. Come on now, you got to keep them. But I'll, I'll have all sorts of uh, books. But it, it all came from my father. And then second, secondly, my mother. My mother was uh, a crazy reader. She would read. She preferred magazines and newspapers. You'd find magazine and newspaper clippings if she's in another place another state or whatever, she'd send them to you. She was just a nut about reading all sorts of stuff. But the books was my dad. He was just a bibliophile. He was just, had them all over the place. 
just everywhere. It's just ridiculous. Well, no, I take that back. He didn't have them everywhere. He, he actually had a closet full of books. It was like a little library. So it all came from my father, man. It all came from my father, absolutely. What's, uh, what's your favorite book? If you you know, when I, when I was coming up, um, I was reading a lot of comic books, and one day my dad came in my room, and he was saying, look, boy, you need to read better stuff than this. And um, he gave me Treasure Island, Robert Louis Stevenson, or Robert Stevenson. And uh, I didn't like it. I didn't, if you, I didn't like it. <laughs> also gave me a book by J.A. Rogers called The World's Great Men of Color, Part 1 and Part 2. And in, and in those books, I found out about Alexander Dumas, black Frenchman, who wrote, as you know, Three Musketeers, etc. So I read The Count of Monte Cristo. Boy, that's still my favorite to this day. <laughs> this day. I yeah. just, I don't know what it was. I just absolutely loved it. I just, and that's, and that's, that's absolutely phenomenal, you know, because the old saying, I don't know if a lot of people remember, but it used to say, if you want to hide anything from black people, put it in a book. You know, right. and unfortunately, my yeah, my publisher used to say that a lot too, uh, Mr. Khalifa, and he did a lot of, um, he was in Virginia, but he traveled to Harlem a lot. And yeah, I mean, it, that was a common, that was a common saying in the, uh, the black books business. It really was. And it still <laughs> is, you know, and I, I've, I'm not a, I tell people I'm not a reader. I've never have been. It just wasn't instilled in me, but I do like picking up knowledge and me. Thank God we're in the age of audiobooks now. Yes. <laughs> you know, that, yes. that helps me consume so much more knowledge. Yo, and just, yes. that's just how I consume it. And it, it's so much easier for me because I can listen and go and still get stuff done. And right. you, you, but, you actually, yeah, I mean, you know, you're a professional, you're a busy professional. Every blue moon, someone wants to take a pot shot at you. So what are you going to do? Drop the book. Hold on, bro. Let me drop this, this bookmark in here and respond to you shooting at me. I'm over and here you know, trying to read Martin Luther King Jr., man. What you? Right. You know, you know, you're a busy guy. So, yeah, that audio that audio thing is is great. And I strongly encourage people to, to pick up on that. Uh, I like, do you prefer actual physical books yourself, I'm guessing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, actually, I, I prefer the actual book, but I do listen to, uh, you know, audio books a lot. I, I mean, I quite literally many times would just put it on and then lay down and, uh, you know, just I just do a lot like that. I used to have a working CD player in the car. It used to be forever taking out audio books, you know, from, borrowing from the library. But yes, my preference, though, is that is that physical book. Nice, man. man so now how did you end up in louisville from boston because you've been here some odd some years now oh yeah yeah i i got here when i was like 11 or 12 my my mother and father met in, when they were at, uh, my father's at university in gordon college uh, and then he also did his master's there in boston university so they met there i was born there um he went back to ohio he passed a two, three churches. Um, then they broke up. We stayed with my mother. My father did, um, he was at the Urban League in Warren, Ohio. He was actually, small little story was actually done on him in Jet Magazine because he was one of the youngest directors of an Urban League chapter in the country at the time. And um, 
he was recruited by the Kentucky Commission in Human Rights. They said, hey, we want you to come work for us. So once he got that, he some things happened with my mother, she's a single mother, just real struggled for her to take care of two kids. He came and got us basically, my sister and I. And that was it. That's how we ended up in uh, in Louisville. And I, and I and he told me some things and and it's really weird. He everything he told me just made now makes perfect sense to me. I mean, it's like I'm so he made the right decision. I'm glad he brought us to Louisville, Kentucky. I really am. I'm I'm a I love Louisville and I'm a proud Kentuckian. You definitely do love Louisville, man. And uh, like I say, the work you're doing for the young black kids in the West End with the Louisville Chess Club. Can you explain to me and the people how you started that and where did your love for chess come from? My father taught me when I was young. Um, we'll just sort of drop it there, but he taught me when I was young. And um, my daughter, when she was born, I said, you know what, I want you to have real, I wanted her to have real strong math skills because if you look at it, some of the higher paying careers, businesses, they're all math based. And many times women aren't, aren't encouraged to get into math and really stick with it, take it to a high level. I was weak in math, her mother's weak in math. I bumped into an old college friend of mine. I won't tell the full story, but an old college buddy of mine, he was a very active in the chess community in Kentucky and a public math teacher, public math teacher in the public school system. He said to me point blank, I'll never forget it. He said, Corbin, get her into chess. He says, the higher achieving math students are also some of the highest achieving chess. Is I don't know if the chess is reinforcing the math or the math is reinforcing the chess. He said, but there's an obvious symbiotic relationship that the numbers, the evidence clearly shows. Little girl, was taught chess at age six. Wow. <laughs> there on. And then I saw how it was really helping her. And uh, I said, well, man, if it's good for her, you know, why wouldn't it be a good thing for other kids? So that's how I started uh, saying, well, I want to take this into uh, into West Louisville. And how long how long have you had the Louisville Chess Club going now? Uh I've been involved, I guess you might say, a, a professional chess person since 2010. I've had my own nonprofit, the Kentucky Chess Ambassadors, for roughly two years now. The West Louisville Chess Club is something that I approached the Louisville Urban League about, and they, and they jumped on it. And then some things happened with COVID where they couldn't continue it anymore. So fortunately, at that by that time, I had my own nonprofit. So I just sort of took the West Louisville Chess Club, also formed the Urban Louisville Chess Club, and you know we're the so the Kentucky Chess Ambassadors. They're under the umbrella of the Kentucky Chess Ambassadors. Nice. Um, it was it was a few years ago, you know it was a few years ago. I'm I'm not always good with numbers and dates, but I want to say around 2016, 2017. And you know we we uh, we got some we won some trophies, man. We won some team trophies at a regional that's held every year at uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Those kids, those kids were. I mean, they 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 were a team. They were truly a team. Man, that's awesome, man. Have you seen this program 
change kids that came in one way and by the time they were done with this program well let me tell you this one story it's funny you brought that up because i was telling somebody i told somebody this not too long ago at one time i was at the potter's house um cable baptist church had a non-profit and so they brought me in to to direct that and that's where i was teaching teaching chess from there amongst other things so uh some university of louisville professor just called me out of the blue and said hey i'd like for you to to give my my son private chess lessons cool bring him on over kid comes over after about you know a couple of sessions i said to myself i don't quite understand why child abuse is wrong <laughs> there are some exceptions and he's like one of them this kid just told me nuts get it his name was i think his name was i've got his name i want to i want to say charlie but i don't think that was that was right and uh but brother so you talk about a metamorphosis over time and me understanding you can go to jail <laughs> if you do what you want to do brother that guy that kid made it 180 and I, i'll never forget one day his father sent me a letter and a check saying i don't know what you're doing but you need to keep doing it wow he said his son with tournaments most tournaments are usually on saturdays and some of the tournament directors they like starting their tournaments early because they have so many kids they'll have like 100 125 registered so they want to start it early so as a team you need to get there for registration by like 8 39 in the morning he said my son eight eight seven thirty eight in the morning come on daddy we gotta go to this tournament fully dressed ate his breakfast he's ready to rock and roll wow yeah and that's and that's what his father said wow i can't believe this you know before it, yeah wanted to be in that chess tournament wanted to be in that chess tournament so yeah that's like yeah you see those kind of changes you might i guess you might metamorphosis yeah I've, you know you see that a lot doesn't it doesn't happen all the time and it doesn't you know one thing that people have to understand that you a, a child gaining from chess doesn't always have to mean he becomes a you know an international master or grandmaster or anything like that it could be just just something like what that young man did um i had another student his mother's a public school teacher and he and her and her husband they're they're always saying Man, he's gained so much from it. What he gained from it was confidence. Because that I would always go to him and say, hey, Andrew, I, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. And, and he just came out of his shell. He just became a leader. And I could see that with Andrew. He just be, became, before he just shy kid, boom. Next thing I know, Andrew's one of my leaders. Wasn't necessarily one of the, the strongest players, but he was definitely a leader. And see, that is so needed in the black community, you know, because we get caught into this trap where it's like either you got to play pro sports yeah you got to become a dope dealer yo. and nobody's right. looking at education books and chess right. at these alternatives that can really help turn these kids lives around and like yeah. I said, even that one kid you were talking about his father couldn't change him but you were able to step in with your program and help change this kid's life you know, and we don't look at that stuff because it's not attractive it's not glamorous. It's not glorious. You know? you know, they're just looking at right here, right now, but they're not looking at yeah. the skills they could gain from that down the line. Right. 
And, you know, one thing I do want to say, too, about the West Louisville Chess Club, and, and even now with the Kentucky Chess Ambassadors, the parents, the parents are key. They're, they're, they're key. They're, they're essential. When we were evaluated by Metro United Way, the one of the things they kept saying is that, my God, you have just as many parents here as you do young people. You know, parents are up against the wall. In the beginning, they, were, they had the tendency to just sort of drop them off. Here, you take care of this rambunctious knucklehead for a couple hours. And then I guess, you know, they just sort of saw things change. And then the parents start asking, well, can we stay? Of course you can stay. I got nothing to hide. Of course you can stay. I want you to stay. And they would stay. And brother got to the point where some weekends I was feeding kids and parents, man. I'm telling you, they were they and the and the parents are key. I always notice one thing: some of my top players, the parents were actively involved. Even if the parents were divorced or separated, they would co-parent when it comes to that that kid being involved in chess. And that kid would would respond to that in a very positive way. Man, that is absolutely phenomenal, man. And so with you. Being a black conservative in your background, was that kind of something taught to you growing up or was that something you fell into on your own by reading? It, 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 it fell into it um, by reading. Uh, at the, by, if I had to make a choice, I'd say by reading. I mean, my father was, uh, again, he was a bibliophile. He was an intellectual. Um, he was a, a former pastor. So... He didn't. He never told me don't take drugs or anything like that. He just didn't have that kind of mess around us, you know, alcohol, cigarettes, none of that. I remember one time I saw my father drinking a beer. I freaked out. <laughs> it was just a beer, and it was a hot. It was a hot Saturday afternoon, cold beer. He's at someone's house. I think they offered it to him, and he just he. I mean, that's so. That's how, you know, we were, we were, but I think it was just reading because really. I would say from high school, senior high on up, I considered myself like a, a black radical, a socialist, Marxist and all. And then, um, you know, something happened called life. Uh, it just dramatically said, hey, wait a minute, I got to reevaluate this because this ain't making no sense. There was no connection to reality. It just it just wasn't there. And I couldn't. You know, as a person who's doing a lot of reading, of course, reading one of your critical, one of your important skills is critical thinking. You know, this whole socialist stuff just didn't jive up to reality. It just wasn't, wasn't working. Didn't make it, was there one certain book that you read that kind of pushed you towards the black conservative? No, I couldn't. I couldn't say that other than, you know, maybe um, Booker T. Washington. His writings, mm -hmm. a lot of people don't realize Booker T. Washington wrote a lot. Yes. He just didn't write up from slavery. Um, he wrote a lot. And in fact, I've read like two or three of his stuff. And this guy was, he was amazing. So if I had to choose a book, it would be up from slavery. Yeah, that, that and, is a great autobiography. Yeah. And, you know, it used to be taught a lot in schools around the country. Now, you know, you'd be a miracle of God if you find somebody teaching it but it, it's it's just a you know there's just so much it's, it's it's just rich so many rich stories in there i mean it's like this guy talk you know he talked about how he 
walked or he traveled 500 oh, miles. Yeah, just to go to school, to just get to, to college. To right. like, a lot of people don't realize that, man. It's just like he was so hungry for education. Yes. So hungry he w- did that. And right. you don't find that these days. You know, we take we take you it don't. for granted. <laughs> you don't. And, you know, it's it's interesting. My father would sometimes get upset with me because he felt that, you know, there are a lot of doors that have been open for you. And some people have literally lost their lives to open these doors for you. And he felt that I wasn't working hard enough to take advantage of those opportunities to walk through those doors. And uh, I think that's one problem we, we're having as a people right now is that we really don't, it hasn't, it's, it's like we lost something in the generation. And I don't want to like blame the prior generation, but you know, even in the Bible, it talks about, man, you can, you can lose stuff in a generation. Absolutely. Prior generation doesn't constantly remind you, Hey, we, you know, these doors at one time were closed to us. Now they're open. You gotta, you gotta walk through, you gotta walk through, you gotta walk through, you gotta take those. My father got on me about that. But at the time I was like, you know, Hey dude, what are you talking about? <laughs> Everything's good, man. You know, we had a house. I had my own room. You know, I would harass my sister, sister every so often. Go outside and play. My father didn't have that. He had he had tuberculosis. You know, he's in that uh, iron lung thing. Yeah, and he had trouble with his heart. This all as a young person during the depression, and segregation was real. Negro, you can't go there. Exactly. What are you going there for? No, you better turn around. I mean, my father told me some stories. I never, ever came close to anything like that. So when he was talking to me, hey, man, you need to walk through these doors. I'm like, what What doors, man? I ain't got time to hear this, man. This is a baseball game in Hounds Lane Park. I go get the baseball game. So, you know, in a sense, with the, you know, we almost became like victims of our own success. And uh, and I, I still emphatically believe those opportunities are still here now. But we have this, so many of these so-called political leaders and thinkers keep saying we are perpetual victims. We're victims. We're victims. And white folks are killing us. And man, no, dude, no. That's not the case. Like I said, my parents are from Mississippi. The, the stories my you know family members have told me what it was like growing up in Mississippi in the oh, 50s right. and 60s. I've never had to experience that. I would never want to experience that. So we don't have problems in this day and age in America. We really don't. But people are using the trauma of our ancestors and they keep passing that down the line to more and more generations. And we literally have black people here thinking like this is the worst place to be in the world, America. I'm like, look around, man. Like, what are y'all seeing? Not to say we're not problem free, but my God. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting you brought that up too, because I, uh, in 1985, I uh, worked with my ex-wife and we formed a nonprofit organization. And it was the uh, Bishop Tutu Refugee Fund. And we were assisting South African refugees in Lesotho, Swaziland, Botswana, Zimbabwe, etc. We were uh, doing some assistance to help folks within South Africa, displaced people within South Africa. And so I did a lot of travel, a lot of travel. I went through three passports. 
Ooh. It got to the point when I would like, I remember one time I flew to Botswana, Gaborone, Soratakama International Airport, and I'm going through and I'm, and they said, well, you know, what's your name? I said, well, you know, I'm Corbin Severs. And I was about to pull out my pay. Oh, yeah, Mr. Severs. You know, good to see you again. I'm like, dad, <laughs> Gaborone, dog. It's not like I was, in, you know. I was like, what? Oh, my God. Do I got a dossier on me? So I saw stuff. I saw stuff. And whether I acknowledged it or not, it was like, dude, we, we have it pretty good in the United States. These folks are struggling. We're not struggling like that. The first time I ever ever saw cable was in a household that was getting food stamps and stuff. When I was in Botswana and Swaziland, them brothers and sisters ain't got nothing. No cable, no TV. Mm. When they talk about poverty, they mean we ain't got nothing. You know, we ain't got food stamps. Nothing like that. So that that made an impression on me, but it didn't really sort of like crystallize till till later uh, later in my life. But you know, I just saw things that. Were... You know, I tell people here in America, man, I was like, our poor people are fat because they're eating too much. Like, yeah. <laughs> like that's a good problem to have. Right? <laughs> right. Yes. Man, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. Yeah. A, man. So, what made you start the podcast? You know, it was, I was really getting upset with, um, I just felt that some things just weren't being told. You know, there's, you know, like the, I was in New York around the whole time Tawana Brawley happened, that whole hoax around her. And then when I, later on, many years later, I started seeing a lot of other things like that, like, you know, the LMPD, they're vicious animals, they're, they're beating up black people all the time. And But, you know, I, I hosted the LMPD chess classic several times. I remember one year, the police chief called me and said, well, Corbin's about the time, isn't it? Time for what? Are you going to pick me up? What are you doing? <laughs> well, the, for the classic, you know, we do it every, oh, yeah, 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 no problem. I mean, he wasn't trying to beat me up when he was like uh, at the uh, tournaments. Um he, he made it a point to talk to every single parent, to sit there and talk with them. You know, hey, what, what issues are you having with the police? What can we do better? Um, Aubrey Gregory was one of my coaches for two years. Oh, phenomenal so guy. Yeah. And it was real interesting. On one hand, oh, the LMPD, they're, they're racist and they're, they're beating up black people and killing black people. On the other hand, Corbin, can I give you a check? <laughs> Corbin, can I go to your school and teach? What the heck? So, you know, I just, I just had to, I just said, well, I'm, I'm going to do a podcast to get my, my, uh, you know, get my views out there. And see, we have to have that because the incident with uh, Aubrey, uh, Major Aubrey Gregory, they, you know, they demoted him to Lieutenant. I'm like, I'm, no, I'm still calling this dude a major. He deserves it to take a yeah. bullet for the city. And yeah. see, I didn't even know that about the chess club thing. Oh, and yeah. him helping that black lady across the line yes. during the marathon. And all of a sudden this incident happens and it's, oh, this guy's a horrible racist. It was like, that is not the case. That yeah. is not the case whatsoever. Yeah. I've known I tell you, for years. I tell you the most threatening thing I ever got yeah. from, uh, from the major. I needed a few extra bucks. Uh, chess, chess 
coaches just don't get paid that much. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he met me somewhere, you know, and, and gave me a few extra bucks. And then it was like a few weeks later, I said, hey, man, you know, I got that money I, I owe you. And he almost raised his voice. He said, man, did I ask you to return that money? I said, well, no, but, you know, he said, dude, you're good. If I, if, if you're good, don't, don't ever do that again. If I, it's a, it's a blessing for me to give to you. I was like, wow. Well, can I get 200? <laughs> I mean, he was like, another hundo on there for me. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, man, you know, and, and that was just always his attitude, man. I'm, I'm not asking you for anything, man. I'm not asking you to, to repay me or anything like that. This is a blessing for me to do this. I said, man. And he was, you know, he was a cop, always in uniform, always in uniform. That, and I can't, there's a couple times kids were approaching, well, you know, how can I become a police officer? He never once brought up being a cop. He would just teach, and then all of a sudden kids would, he said, and I've seen it, I was right there. Well, how can I become a police officer? Man, that's, that is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, he was, yeah, racist. Please. Yeah, far from it, man. So before we get ready to get out of here, I got one more thing I want to ask you. This is yeah. something I've been struggling with for years, you know, being an American, having black skin and how people try to quantify and like, you know, define themselves as, you know, American. I'm not American. I'm just, you know, I'm black. I'm white. I'm a black conservative man. How do you how do you describe yourself and what do you think people should take from this? Like, are we all just Americans or is it okay to be a black American? Is it okay to be an African-American or a black conservative without putting a qualifier on there of the skin color? How do you feel about that? That's like I said, that's one thing I'm still working on myself, really trying to discover like, like, yeah, I'm Dexter Pitts, but what are you? I don't, I'm black. You know, you can look at me and tell. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I struggle with it too. I mean, I, I struggle with it, you know, like you do and, if you would ask me this question five years ago, I'd give you one answer. But if you ask me this question two weeks from now, I'd give you a different answer. So, you know, I struggle with it too. But what sort of gives me foundation was when, you know, I had my, what I call the uh, amazing grace experience. That I just had to accept the fact that, uh, you know, I'm a filthy low-life sinner, but through grace, uh, you know, through the blood of Christ, I've been given the gift of eternal life. And so I, I always struggle to sort of uh, repay Christ for that. And I'm first and foremost, you know, a believer as, as much as possible. Despite my faults and my sin, I still struggle to do that. And that's, that's what gives me foundation. I could talk to you today for days about race. You know, the way race, black, was defined in South Africa was different than what it is here. It's more political. Only of recently has black people in the United States given it more of a political uh, definition. And there's a whole lot that you can say about that. Um, when I was in other African nations, like Zimbabwe, you know, these guys would be like, well, who are you that you don't know Nabele and Shona? Were you from Tanzania? You know, so it wasn't like, and I'd tell him, no, I'm from the United States. You know what one guy in Botswana said to me? So, oh, you're part of the Negro tribe. <laughs> That's what he said to me. Really? So it's like race isn't quite the thing there, neither the way we experience it here, you know. 
So, you know, there's a lot of the struggle with that. But for me, the, the foundation is the scripture and how the scripture defines me um, as an as an individual. You know, Amazing Grace was was written by a slaver. That white boy was a slaver. He raped black women. He brutalized black men. And then when he became a Christian, we came to understand that he's a filthy, low-life scumbag like everybody else. He accepted Christ as Savior, and that's his. So he was given the gift of, of grace, of eternal life. And he wrote Amazing Grace. And as you know, Amazing Grace is sung by churches all over the, the world. Black, white, Asian, doesn't matter. And that, that, you know, and it's sung all over the world because it, you know, that's what we are. I think foundationally that's, that's where we are, all of us. All of us. And, and it's, it's, it's interesting how God sometimes seems to have a sense of humor. So you know what? I'm going to have this white guy who used to uh, enslave black people. I'm going to have him, you know, then he's going to write this song. And then he's going to be, that song is going to inspire a black man in the United States named Corbin, who was a descendant of slaves. And just look how that, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't make that up. No, <laughs> you know, you can you can do that. That's that's God's way of saying, hey, you know, you y'all fools, you know, you don't get it. But here, here's, here's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm really going to mess with your heads on this. One. <laughs> William Wilberforce, you know, the role he played in in seeing that Britain abolished slavery, he had an institution in the United States named after him. It was the first independent uh, historically black college in the United States named after William Wilberforce. Um, so, you know, there's, you know, when I stand before God, when we, when I, my thinking is when I stand before God, I doubt very seriously if he's going to raise the whole thing. Well, you know, what do you prefer to call yourself? Negro color? <laughs> exactly. You know, what, what, what is your policy? You know, he wants to, first of all, I need to know, I need to look to my left and look to my right to see my counselors there. If Christ is there, so yeah, let him in, God, Daddy. He, he, he's all right. <laughs> he's good. He's a little messed up, but it's all right. He, he, that's what. That's all. That's the only question I think he's. I hope he's, nobody gets to the gates. But hey, can you point me to the black section, Lord? Right. You know. Right. <laughs> hey man, we can talk to you. <laughs> you yeah. the black church section of heaven, the white. Yeah, no, nah, it's. Yeah, like I said, that stuff, it drives me crazy. It really does. And, you know, like I said, it puts pressure on me to be like, well, what am I actually? Like, I'm, I look in the mirror and I, we know what we look like. But at the end of the day, it's the heart, man. It's like, what's on your heart? Right, right. I mean, it, yeah, there's so many, so many stories, you know, in your personal life and my personal life that, that testifies to that. You know, like you just brought up, you know, Aubrey Gregory, you know, darn good and well. You and Aubrey have that uniform on and some fool came after you. You know Aubrey's going to take that bullet for you. You know Aubrey's going to stand by your side. Man, he and a black officer got shot that night. That's right. That's right. <laughs> At a Black Lives Matter, you know, <laughs> pro protest, a black and a white officer got shot. And, you know, it's... <laughs> uh, we, can, we can't make this stuff up in America where we're at right now, man. <laughs> We can all like say we're at the bottom of the barrel, but God willing, you know, it, it only it can get better, man. But you are just an absolute wealth of knowledge and just your parents did well with you, man. So before we get out of here, can you tell the people where they can listen to your show and how they can support your organization? Yeah. Um, go to uh, booktalkwithcorbin.com. That's my website, booktalkwithcorbin.com, C-O-R-B-I-N. And uh, you'll 
you know, you get on my podcast there, all my all my interviews, all that stuff. And then if you want to support the Kentucky Chess Ambassadors, we need you. We're looking for one hundred twenty dollar a month sponsors. If we get a hundred of them, hundred people um, donating twenty dollars a month for twelve consecutive months, you know, we can run the organization and we can reach at a minimum a hundred kids a year. So uh, you go to kychessambassadors.com and you'll immediately see a place where you can donate. kychessambassadors.com. Appreciate it, man. Well, Corbin, I appreciate having you on. Thank you so much. And like I said, my book's coming out January 2nd, so I'm hoping to get on Book Talk with Corbin to, <laughs> to yeah, get a good review. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you got to send me a review copy, man, a signed review oh, copy. I got you. I got yeah, you, my man. Yeah, I, yeah. I definitely got you, Corbin. I appreciate you, brother. Yeah, you take all it right. easy. You have a good one, all right? I'll see you on the yeah. next one, my man. All right, brother.